0: what you feel when you hear about climate change and when you look at some of the facts like on the screen there. Is it weariness? Is it guilt? Is it hopelessness? Is it anxiety or boredom or apathy or maybe determination and anger to do something? Just think about it as I show you two photos taken by young people living in a village affected by Cyclone Idai last year. And think what one word comes into your mind to describe the overriding emotion that you feel when you think about climate change. So this young person says, who took the photo, this old lady's crops were washed away because of the rain. She is not strong. Farming is difficult. She had worked so hard, using all her energy to grow food. But now she has lost everything. It was difficult for me to take this photo as she was in tears. But she wanted to tell her story. And this photo taken by another young person who says, this photo shows a family that was hit by the floods. Their house was destroyed. They now have no place to live. This is where they lie down at night. It will take them so long to rebuild. And then these young people said, we want to tell others That because of people far away from this village, our weather is changing. People out there are not looking after the environment, and so we are suffering. Climate change is destroying our lives. So... I don't know what you feel what one word came to mind. For me, <laughs> although I spend a lot of my time in places affected by climate change, my overriding emotion is guilt. And I stand before you today very unqualified to give this talk. I just flew back on Thursday evening from Tenerife from a week in the sun. And there's now a, the word <laughs> coined in, uh, from the Swedish from the young person, Greta, who's been so vocal on climate change called scam flight shame. So I stand before you today, in the reality of our world, guilty of flight shame, to say, you know, what is it that God is calling us to do today? Our generations have failed so badly to really address this issue, and I feel God is calling us to step up. And as I've been reflecting this week, he's certainly been calling me to step up. So I just want to pray now before we go into thinking, what is it that he is calling us to do? So let's pray. Father, we just lay before you these emotions that we feel when we think about climate change. Whatever it is, we lay them down at your throne and we ask you to rebirth something in us that comes from you, that comes from the heart of the Father, that comes from the mind of Christ and that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit so that we really know your way forward on this. Amen. So as I've been thinking this week, I've been thinking, you know, what does God feel? You know, what do I feel? But also what does God feel when he looks at his creation? And I went back through the Genesis story that Elizabeth just read so beautifully part of to us. And I tell you, I found it like really moving. I found it like mesmerizing and awe-inspiring description of how God set up the world to be. It's just incredible. It talks about the abundance of his provision, but it also talks about the kind of superfluity of the beauty, the extravagance of the beauty that he creates. It's not just about doing what we need to survive but it's about much more than that and these words on the screen here are all taken from different translations of Genesis 1 and 2 and just describe some of those words about how God set up our world. He talks in verse 20 of chapter 1 about it teeming, in verse 22 about it being fruitful and increasing In verse 24, producing. In verse 28, being fruitful again and filling. And then as we go on into chapter 2, it talks about gold and onyx and pearls and aromatic resin. And it's like all the senses, the smell, the sight, everything is so beautiful. And it says in chapter 2, verse 9, the trees that he made were pleasing for the eye, and good for food. So he set up this creation to bring pleasure, delight to himself and to us. And as Elizabeth read, he said, it is good. And then as it goes on, he looks at it and goes, it is very good. And he says in the message, it says, it's so good, so very good. So I just want us to pause and we're going to take like a full minute just to reflect now and think of one scene in creation that has moved you in recent times. So when you've maybe come on a walk and come over and seen a view and just had your breath taken away. For my family, it always involves a beach, so here's a beach. But you might like to close your eyes and picture your own scene. And as we have this minute of silence, I just want you to think, how does it make you feel? How do you think God felt? when he looked at his creation and then when he looks at what's happened to it now. So just take a moment now and pause and just reflect. What is God feeling as he looks on his creation today? Think about that beautiful creation. We now ask, What is our role? I've got four questions. So, the third one is, What is our role, our calling in this from God to the earth? So, into this amazing creation, as we read Genesis 1 and 2, God makes man, and He says in verse 28 of chapter 1, Be fruitful, increase, fill, subdue, and rule over the animals. So I looked at that sort of rule over the earth and thought, what does that mean to rule over? In other translations it says to reign, to be responsible for, to take charge. And looking back at the Hebrew, the word is actually rada, which is a royal word. It means like the rule of a king. So God is actually calling us to rule with him, to reign with him as king. And to understand that word, I looked in other places in the Bible, and you don't need to look this up. But in Ezekiel 34, verse 4, it uses the same word. And God says, You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bound the injured, brought back the strayed, sought the lost, but with force and harshness you have ruled them. So this is the antithesis. This is what God doesn't want us to do, to rule with force and harshness. The ruling that he calls us to with him is a tender, taking care of, looking after. In chapter 2, verse 15, it says, he put Adam in the garden to work it and to take care of it. It's like a positive work that looks after things with tender care. And then verse 19, I love this. It says, he brought the animals to them to name them, what he, to see what he would name them. And I love it because this is like God saying, I want to do this with you. And he, you can just sort of picture him watching and say, oh, look, I'm bringing them. I want to see what you call them. And it's this creative task he gives to Adam and then to Eve to look after them and he watches. And then whatever the man called each living creature was its name. So it's God sharing with us in this. And so we have this beautiful world set up in harmony, as my beautiful picture shows there. You know, man at peace with himself, at peace, you know, brings Eve as a helper to rule alongside him, at peace with the earth, looking after and caring for it. And that's fantastic, and that's our calling. But then, as we all know, comes like the fall. Everything goes wrong. And, yeah, the... Adam feels shame, Eve feels shame. God says now there's going to be like man ruling over woman. That relationship is broken and messed up with God. There's shame with the earth. He says it's now going to be painful toil. It's like cursed. And so everything goes wrong. And so what does this mean for our role today? Well, the fantastic story of the Bible is this story of reconciliation and restoration, isn't it? Culminating with the death of Christ and his resurrection. And I love it for me. It's sort of encapsulated in a passage in Colossians 1 verses 15 to 20. And I'd love it if you could just pick up your Bibles and turn to those verses. It's on page 1117 of the Pew Bibles, Colossians 1, 15 to 20 page 1117, if you could just turn to that. And if you found that, if you could just take a few minutes and read to yourself that paragraph where it says, the supremacy of the Son of God, it's verses 15 to 20. So I'll just allow time for you to read it through and ponder it. What is God doing as He rescues us from this fall as he rescues the earth. In the message version, it talks about just those last couple of verses. It talks about him leading the resurrection parade. And isn't that a fantastic image to have in mind as we think of justice for the earth? That we follow Jesus in this resurrection parade. And it says... Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. So Jesus' death and resurrection puts us back into harmony, and he calls us back into reigning with him. And sometimes I think people look at Christians and we uh, fail in one of two ways. Sometimes we're what uh, Dallas Willard describes as vampire Christians, which means we take Jesus' blood, just take a bit of his blood, and we're like, okay, we now have eternal life. We're here. So it doesn't matter what we do on earth, we don't need to care about creation we don't really need to live our life differently because we know we're going to go to heaven which is true so we think about eternal life starting not now in the fullness of the life God has for us but starting after death and we become vampire Christians using his blood and then carrying on with our lives as if he didn't exist or maybe we become pharisaical Christians who run around like saying we've got to save the world and we're doing everything we can and judging others for flying off to Tenerife or whatever it is. And, and we just sort of run around. And yet, even if we run around till we're crazy, we're not going to solve this problem on our own. It is a massive situation that we're faced with. So what God calls us to is, I think, for me, in this lovely verse in Romans 5 where it says, By the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So he calls us not to apathy, not to frantic activity on our own, but to go back to that original calling in Genesis to reign with him and follow him in this resurrection parade that reaches the whole earth and everything in it. And this is something that is creative and communal and spirit-filled and evidence-based. So our final question, what actions will we take as a result? This calling, this wonderful, hopeful calling on our lives. And the first one is justice for those who are most affected by climate change. Michelle Bachelet, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights says, we will not meaningfully tackle the climate emergency until the people most affected by climate change are empowered to meaningfully and effectively participate. And as I go around the world and I see the effects and I hear people's stories, it is unbelievably moving. I was listening to one lady from Melanesia in the Mother's Union who was telling us, as we all cried with her, about how she and her whole family and community had to keep moving to higher land. They had to leave their homes, their communities, where they've grown up, because the waters are just increasing all the time, and they've had to do this more than once now. I bring back to mind a a guy I met in northern Uganda, in a really remote region where no-one talks about climate change and stuff, and the church had been taking action with their community, doing lots of stuff to build up food security and share the work together and improve health for people. And then drought had come and he said to me, I don't understand what is happening. Why is our weather changing? Why are we not getting the rains? Why do we work and see nothing? So within this, we need to support initiatives that are creative and empower people to protect and to prevent the effects of climate change. And there's just one lovely story I want to share with you from our other home, which, as many of you know, is in Malawi. And we went back there in September with Pete and Alison and Miranda Tucker. And we went back to one of the very first villages where Tony's been as well, right in the early days where Eagle started and when we first went there like 93% of the under five children were severely malnourished. There were no trees, there was mud huts, there was a drunk chief, it was just in the worst region of one of the worst affected countries by climate change in the whole world and it just looked hopeless. And after the training they had, they started working together. How can we solve these problems creatively? And they did two really big things. One was to re the river back onto its original course. And to do that, they had to work with government. They had to get all the communities up and down the river that were also affected to work together. They had to involve Everyone and by hand they dug and they built dikes and they redirected that river until it went back into where it should be. And at the same time they started planting trees. And the government said, OK, you've got to plant trees from January to March because that's when the rains are, and so you can then make sure that they will be able to grow. And they looked at their community and they said, we are in such dire circumstances. If we do this, we will never address our problems. We need something on a much greater scale. So they said, right, we're going to do this the whole year. We're going to plant trees every day, every year. And so they started. And to do that, they had to dig massive hole for each tree. They had to make manure out of all the local sort of resources around and fill the hole with that, put the little sapling in. Then they built an individual shelter for every sapling out of like uh, leaves and so on. And then from April to December, when there was no rain, they had to carry buckets from their borehole to water each sapling. And the whole community did that for years. And when you go there now, there's this forest of trees that stretches as far as you can see. And our hearts sang when we looked at it. And that's what happens. God's heart sings when he sees creative, radical, communal responses to the things that are going on. And in fact, they were asked to leave that community by the government before they did this because they said, you can't do anything. It's like such a bad place. And the chief said to them... No, we're not going to leave because we've caused these problems. And if you take us to another place, we'll take ourselves with us and we'll cause the problems again and we'll be in the same situation. So he said, we have to stay here. We have to find the root causes. We have to solve them together and we will change our community. And that forest saved their houses and saved their crops from the cyclone. And we went there. He said to us, there's no poverty in this village. This is the worst of the worst. So we can support creative, empowering initiatives. Secondly, we can be responsible for our own lives. We need to change our lifestyle. It means a radical change of attitudes and of the way we operate. If you look at these, the main causes in the UK of... uh, at household level of carbon emissions, are to do with the way we use our heating and our energy in our houses firstly, then transport, the kind of cars we drive, how much we drive them, the flights we take, our diets, the meat we eat, and whether we can change that and whether we recycle. But there's also some fantastic communal initiatives, like Sarah Gleave has an All Saints environmental group that has just got going and meets in her house every month. We can carbon offset with Eagles Malawi, all our emissions. We can join campaigns like Christian Aid has a fantastic campaign called The Big Shift, where they're targeting the big banks and trying to prevent them from investing in fossil fuels. And they've had some good success already, but there's template letters all set up on their website. It's very easy to do. And then finally... I really believe we also need to release our young people. I just really believe that this is a Joshua generation that will do stuff that we can't do. If you look at our world and the politics around us, our generations have not done well. And there's so much hope, but also so much anxiety among the younger generation as they see the world we're leaving for them So what can we do to support them, to release them, to listen to them, to run with their ideas? It's fantastic that in the next service the Toast Young people are leading and I'm going to stay to hear them. We need to listen and learn from them. The young people who took the photos at the beginning of uh, the talk, they got together last month and they brought together all their exhibition of photos with people from the government, with the big sugar company in the area, Lovo, with other charities, and they presented their photos. And each of those groups, the community leaders as well, they made commitments about what they were going to do in that area to change their situation. So we can release our young people and we can listen to them. So as we close now, I just want to take one minute, again, of silence. And reflect on that. Remember, this is about co-reigning with God. So let's just listen to him, look at those three areas and say, is there an action that I can take either to strengthen something I'm already doing or to do something differently or new in each of those areas? So we'll just pause one minute and then I'll pray. I'll just close in prayer now. But as I was listening then to God, I just felt God saying, Like this congregation is a congregation with such heart and care for people and for the world. And we can do something. We can make a difference. So, Father, as we go forward from here, we remember those emotions that we started with. We remember your grief at what has happened to creation and we share in it. We remember your call to rule and reign with you. And we ask for your strength and your power to come into our actions to help us to be radical, to be really put into practice in a determined and hopeful way, things that will change our earth. We want to follow with you to be part of that resurrection parade with you, where we see your restoration, your reconciliation, and where we reign with you in restoring our world.